Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexander Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. And today we are going to be in conversation with Krista Colbert. Krista is an artist. She's a horse trainer and an educator, and she's pursuing a career in the horse world. And her one of her big dreams is to start a classical dressage clicker training horse rescue, which I think is really intriguing. And I've gotten to know Krista through the online clinics and through the new online self-paced clinics. I'm, I'm getting to uh, learn more about Krista and her horses. And over Labor Day weekend, Krista joined us at the dressage camp. And in dressage camp, we start Friday night with introductions. And one of the things that really struck me as we went from person to person to person was how many people are working with senior citizens, working with older horses, and particularly working with rescues or horses with soundness issues. And Krista, you're one of them. Uh, (laughs) But I've, I've gotten to see what is really an astounding transformation in your horses. The, the video you sent in August, I think it was, showing you had Sage working uh, in hand. And I think she was at Liberty, actually. And she was just floating up around you into a beautiful lateral flexion. And that is not where <laughs> she started. That is not the horse I originally saw. And then you have your other horse, Buck, who has major soundness issues. And he's starting to offer lateral flexions. And it's just so exciting. So I want to talk about older horses and what you can do with them. But before we get to Sage and Huck, I think it's useful to have you introduce yourself a little bit and talk about your background with horses, because you bring a good background into the clicker training. So welcome and get us started. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me here. (laughs) Yeah, I was very fortunate growing up because my mom and my older sister both liked horses, (laughs) which meant I got to spend a lot of time at horse barns even before I was old enough to ride, really. And then we were taking lessons. And when I was 10, we got our half-winger pony, Moonwalker. And he, like many half-winger ponies, is a very good teacher (laughs) because he's very good at saying no to things. (laughs) And we were totally clueless, and uh, he had to say no to us a lot (laughs) in very big ways that we did not pick up on. (laughs) Yeah, I can picture it. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, But we kind of ended up boarding him at a uh, Lipizzaner breeding and training stable just by chance. And it also had a large portion of uh, competitive dressage horses and riders there. Um, So my sister and I kind of grew up you know, we loved horses and we were constantly there every minute we were not in school, <laughs> which was great because we got to handle the stallions. So we got a lot of experience handling very hot. Or I mean, not all the stallions were hot, but many of the competition horses were hot and 
some of the stallions very athletic horses the yes. honors. yes and some of the stallions were like lambs you know like totally docile and others were more like dragons <laughs> so <laughs> um so that was really good experience and well then kind of as we stayed there we got to work with starting young horses and riding well-trained horses and um kind of got a glimpse into this rich history of dressage um, that this place was trying to promote. And then also saw this um, kind of were in the competition dressage world as well, um, which was, you know, and also we had our <laughs> half winger pony there and they would always say about us, they'd be like, oh, the girls in the pony are just looking for the mountains. Cause we would just ride around and I guess you were kind of supposed to have your horse like in a frame there or, you know, in the competition part. And, okay. uh, and we of course did not, we, <laughs> we just rode around on him <laughs> and had fun riding him. And um, yeah, and well, you know, while I was there, I met a couple really great mentors in the competitive dressage um, and they were very generous and uh, let me taught offered to teach me on their very nice well-trained horses so I got to do some competing on them and uh, ride in that world. Um, so you have felt what correct work feels like and what it looks like. Yeah yes mm -hmm. yeah and I think you know through those experiences like now I'm not interested in competing really but I really learned about accuracy and the I think we saw a lot of very skilled riders technically you know very precise very skilled very accurate riders and training so then I kind of graduated from high school and felt like I wanted to explore a different part of myself, learn about something new about myself. So I went to work on old fashioned sailing ships <laughs> and, um, and also went to art school. And during those times, I just would find horses to work with wherever I went. You know, you can, I would just show up at a barn and say, do you have any horses <laughs> to ride? And of course there's always horses that people want ridden. And what's fun is that usually they're the horses that either have behavioral problems and or health issues often causing behavioral problems so that so you learn a lot because yes. they are they are often great teachers yes because yeah because you hit roadblocks yeah you know this is a horse basically it's you know often this is a horse nobody else wants to ride mm -hmm, here. Right. <laughs> you know you can you can work with this horse so yeah that that's a great way, I think, to learn from horses. In the online course, you've written some just beautiful, beautiful <laughs> things. So in, the, in one of the posts that you put into the online uh, clinic, you said, every time I reread a book, take another look at a painting, or have another interaction with a living creature, I see something I didn't before. My learning history has changed, even if just ever so slightly. And that gives me new perspective. I think about how great painters use color in ways that are unbelievably new and amazing. I'll look at a painting and think, surely this person is not using the same colors I am. How do they make me see it like that? It's just the same old colors, but even after thousands of years, there are still surprises and new ways to see and look at the world. 
I feel like the foundation lessons are our colors. Every piece of art that we create will be built from them. No two pieces will look exactly the same, and there will always be more to learn about how to use them, how to see them, and how they create and change balance and relationships. I'm so excited to delve deeper into our foundations with my horses and see how our artwork changes. I love that. I love that metaphor. Mm. But I also, it's definitely, I think, related to your having a background in the arts. So, so it's not just that you had this really great experience and opportunity when you were learning to learn from these, the trainers of the Lipizzaners and to compete on well-schooled horses, but that you also bring this other part into the horse world. And I thought that was worth exploring a little bit of what, is, what does that add to your relationship with the horses and to the way you, that you see the training. Yeah, the art. So I studied painting and drawing at the Art Institute of Chicago. And in general, now that school is very conceptual based art. So art that is not focused on technical skills, but is looking at ideas. So more similar, I'd say, to writing. You know, we're looking at ideas. But I was very drawn to more traditional. Uh, Surprise, surprise. I like traditional things. (laughs) So I was drawn to more traditional um, painting and drawing. And what I liked about it was that it was reteaching me how to see the world. Because when you are drawing, looking at a figure and trying to draw, you have to untrain your mind from thinking, I'm looking at a hand. I'm going to draw a hand. Like you can't think that because then your mind takes over and and draws what it thinks a hand should look like. Yeah, I really found that fascinating to try to look at the world and not project my mind onto it. And I was thinking about how we're often doing that with the horses and behavior. You know, that we're not saying, you know, I might look at a horse and think my history tells me that horse is being stubborn. And, but I have to untrain, that's like untraining my mind to see the hand. I'm saying the horse is not being stubborn. It's not a hand. What does it actually look like? Mm-hmm. You know, what are we looking at? And what observable things are we looking at? The other connection I really find is between balance and movement. Yes. And, you know, even when you're, when you are drawing a figure, you are generally, they want you to stand up. And because your whole body is a part of drawing and finding balance and you're looking at where is the weight, where is the movement, what kind of line is, you know, what is the relationship between the different objects or, um, yeah. So it's, it's very similar actually <laughs> to looking at balance in horses, which is really cool. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're seeing both the movement in the subject that you're drawing, but then you're also feeling the influence of your balance on what you can draw. Is that what I'm hearing? Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and often like, and of course this is like one genre of art. So art right. needs a lot of different things now, but this is kind of what I was finding really interesting. And like in the Renaissance, they would, always draw the feet first and work their way up the figure. And that's because the feet is where, that's the connection to the ground. So you need that 
stability, you need that for balance. And people, you know, artists or drawing masters, whatever, could always tell if a drawing was drawn from the head first instead of the feet first because it affected the balance of the drawing. Yeah. <laughs> which is interesting yeah and then you know when you start adding paint in you start looking at light and color and which yeah are also really amazing <laughs> and like i said in that you know in that online course it is like the colors if a if there's a really great painter they use the colors in such a way that you just i mean they totally just sing the colors sing and I could yeah. use the colors in the same way and they don't sing at all, you know? And I go, what, you know? He must have had a different brand of paint, you know? And it's like, yeah. that's not it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I'm looking at that person's face and I don't see any of the colors that, right. that this artist is putting on the canvas and yet what they are, what they are putting on the canvas is an incredible likeness of the person and the and the character of the person yeah. how did they do that yeah. with colors that I don't even see yeah yeah exactly and and then that absolutely is a great asset to bring into training that where the obsession is balance right which yes <laughs> yeah and yeah and when you draw something you learn about it in a really different way you know and they, they'll say like as you're drawing if like if I was gonna go out and try to draw one of my horses like try to feel the muscles and bones with your pencil so you know so you're looking at it with your eyes but you're really exploring it with your pencil um, and trying to not let your brain tell you this is what a horse looks like because our brains are really good at doing that <laughs> so fascinating because yeah. I, mean, I because I'm one of those people who has really never been able to draw anything <laughs> other than a, a, a clumsy doodle so you know I can appreciate what others draw but frustrate myself when I try and draw something so yes so but if you you should try it and think of it as a process about learning to see and that it doesn't like the the drawing itself is just a byproduct of you learning to see because then it doesn't matter what it looks like, right? It's yes. it's about the process of doing it. You look skeptical though. So. <laughs> I'm not. So, it's not so much that I'm skeptical. I I had uh, was playing playing with a this wonderful book by the illustrator of the Roald Dahl books, and and it was great fun. It was really great fun because that's really what he wants you to do is. Just look at what, you know, instead of trying to make it look like, it's more what do you see? So I'll play with it. Well, certainly, Alex, learning to see is something yes. that, you know, we know we have to do. Um, when we're looking at horses moving, we have to learn to see because sometimes we don't even know what we should see. That's right. That's right. So, so let's circle back. So you went to art school. Mm -hmm. And then I went to art school and then um, afterwards, my partner is Irish. So we moved to Ireland for a year. Very fun. Yeah, which was very fun. We lived in like an old stone 
cottage and you know had a wood fireplace that we could never get to light because we didn't gather firewood till fall so it was all soaking wet <laughs> um, so very Irish and drank a lot of tea um, but I started working again working with horses like as a job and I got a job got several different jobs one of them was like riding horses for an event rider and a couple jobs like mucking stalls and um, but I think there were two major takeaways from my time there and one was that I started working with a horse who had back problems oh. a paint mare in someone's backyard and um, I just wanted a horse to play with on my own and uh, she was very generous and just said go for it <laughs> you know do whatever you want um, and so I really started reading more and more about the classical dressage work. And I started playing with the in-hand work and you know, trying to get some stepping over in-hand work, a little shoulder in or, um, and basically I just rode her at the walk and she taught me, I realized, I think she was the horse who taught me to go to a point of contact and not oh. it, <laughs> which I had not put that together until you, until I heard you teaching about that. But then I was thinking back to my time with her and I was like, that's when it really, that's when that changed for me. And, and of course, so what does that, um, what does that mean? So, because not everybody is going to understand that phrase of going to a point of contact and what's wrong with going past the point of contact. What, <laughs> right. what did she, what was she teaching you? Um, she was teaching me to be very gentle and very light and to just give the information, but not pound the information in, <laughs> you know, like I would, yeah. so I would go down the rain and, and ask for something, but if she didn't give it to me, I would stop and think about it. <laughs> okay. Right. Instead of, I might've at one point, you know, said, well, you have to give it to me and, and take in more or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm an experienced writer. I know how to get you yeah. to, change your body orientation so right. that you were producing something that somebody watching me would say, oh, she's riding shoulder in. That's right. You will move yeah. your body in these, this way. Yeah. 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 Well, so I started playing with that, with her. And Do you remember why? What, would she just refuse to work? Or why did you, why especially with her? What, what did she do that made you more aware of this? I think I was naturally wanting to become more aware of it. Um, okay. But that was, I, I really like learning and I always kind of was trying to be, how can I be more and more gentle or how can I be more and more light when I'm working with the horses? Mm -hmm. But she had mysterious back problems, meaning <laughs> various vets said different things and nobody really they always do <laughs> yes <laughs> um and I didn't you know I was kind of passing through she was not my own horse um and she was like the woman who owned her rode her and uh rode around on trails and walked trot and canada her and from she was you know not it was not like blatant stuff but she was very tense and very stiff and would kind of run, you know, run faster, very off balance and, um, and would show signs of discomfort, you know, so, so she, she actually sounds like 
sort of every other horse that you run into. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know she does. So, so she was not, there was nothing super obvious. Like she didn't rear, she didn't stop and refuse to go. I mean, she, she was a pretty normal, you know, in quotes, normal horse. Mm -hmm. um, but I was curious about it. And, um, and so I started really trying to read more and more of these books and learn about it. And the other really important thing that happened when I was there was I was working mucking stalls for a show jumping trainer and I witnessed some of the worst horse abuse I've ever seen um and you know I I don't need to go into details but mm -hmm. there the guy was furious and was fighting with this horse for probably about an hour and mm -hmm. um I you know, I was totally in shock and freaked out. Um, and I often think like, why did I not go and take this horse away from this person? Mm. And I think partly I was scared. Like this was yes. a very big, angry guy. Um, and so actually what I did is I ran into the barn and there was someone else there who I think boarded their horse there. And I told them what was happening. And I was wishing we could go out together and take this horse away from this guy. But instead, she grabbed a broom and a shovel and ran out to help him. <laughs> and yep, and the whole time there was a 10-year-old girl watching it all. Wow. Yeah. And, um, you know, immediately afterwards, I told them I could not work there, that I, you know, totally disagreed with that. And, um, and of course, he went on to tell me that I just didn't know enough that mm -hmm. you have to do that for safety and respect and that horses need leaders and all this you know the classic yeah. arguments that have been used throughout history to abuse women and children and slaves and <laughs> horses now um yes so uh yeah so yeah. But that, it, it, yeah. you know it's because i talk about this of that those three layers that every training method has and the first layer is belief system yeah. And that the, that prevailing belief system in the horse world that horses are stupid animals and because they're stupid animals, you have to use force to train them. But don't worry, dear, they don't feel pain the way we do. Right. And this, this you have to get tougher, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I sometimes think people must think, you know, that I don't know, that I've got some axe to grind or whatever because surely the horse world is this nice kind sweet gentle lovely place where everybody loves their horses and is kind and gentle to them and and then I encounter person after person after person who's had this who's heard the same thing almost word for word yeah uh, in terms of you know that this violence is how you have to work with horses that we just keep encountering it and we encounter it as 10 year old children we encounter it as grown adults it's just it is it is out there and so in in a sense when I hear others talking about it it confirms that I'm not making this up yes yeah it's out there it's you know I mean and that was the worst example of course that I've seen but but yeah. it's everywhere you know and I've done things that I would never want to do again or look at you know and right. um, and I you know 
And it's that, not, but yeah. that gets to the Maya Angelou quote, which actually is not an accurate quote, but uh, <laughs> it's such a great quote, and I and I attribute it to her anyway. But you know, when I was young, I did the best I could, and when I knew better, I did better. And and I think that's such an important thing because we can beat ourselves up and feel all kinds of guilt over things we did in the past. But the things we did in the past were things that we were learning to do from people that we trusted and and where we thought, well, this is the way that it's done. Like um, like the ten year old girl witnessing Absolutely. Kathleen. You yes. know, I thought I was like, oh my God, she, she's going to think this is how you have to do it. You know, yep. I mean, hopefully not, but, but it's possible that she will, you know? Yeah. Well, or, and when I go into the tax stores and I see <clears throat> the buckets of whips and you see the little pink riding crop for your uh, six-year-old's first, first ride, and right. it's a pink riding crop with glitter and a little pink heart at the end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so yes, the education begins early. But it's so it's it's the Maya Angelou is important. And then the other piece of this that I think is that that for me has always worked is I never get mad at my stepping stones because they they've brought me to where I currently am. So there are many things that I explored and learned how to do that were stepping stones that took me to the next thing that I learned, that took me to the next thing that I learned. And some of those stepping stones, I wouldn't want to go back and revisit. You know, I don't use them anymore, but I needed to explore them in order to find my way to what I currently do. Yeah. So you don't always have the awareness or the options of doing things differently. Uh, you sound like you were in a position where you you could say, I'm not working there anymore. Right. Um, yeah. But some people might not have been able to say that. That's right. That's right. And I was lucky that I could say that. Uh, yeah. And and so basically I went home <laughs> and I Googled uh, like kind horsemanship or something, you know, because basically I, I loved the classical work, but I felt like it was leaving me with some gaps in no. in understanding because partly many of the books say that you need to train the horse really well from the beginning and I was like well that's nice but you know that's not the kind of horses I'm working with right. and, and partly also they didn't talk much about the handling on the ground no. like they would talk about in-hand work but not like you know leading a horse in and out from turnout and and that kind of work and I thought, you know, I was, you know, and I had experience, a lot of experience handling kind of difficult horses on the ground. And it didn't really bother me. You know, a horse could be kind of difficult. And I had learned how to handle it in a way that felt pretty safe. And I just was like, well, a horse has a lot of energy today. It's fine. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't really think like, oh, this is something I really need to change Do something about. Yeah. Mm. It, until I saw that horse abuse, which was from an interaction on the ground. And then I thought, oh, I need the horses I work with, I need to teach really good ground manners so that that doesn't happen to them. You know, so that they don't end up with someone getting right. really mad at them. Um, and 
and having that abuse happen. And if you, I think if you Google kind, gentle horsemanship, Monty Roberts comes up. And I started looking into natural horsemanship, which is another stepping stone, like you were talking yes. about. Yes. Um, so what I, you know, what I liked about it was that there was a really intentional release, which I had not been directly taught before. You know, I think people had used it, but natural horsemanship does do a really good job of teaching when do you release and how do you use a release as a yes answer. And the other thing I liked, I liked looking at the parallels between the, some of the lateral movements in natural horsemanship and in dressage. And I also liked that it gave a structure to increased pressure um, that was not people getting angry. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Even though now the structure to increase pressure makes me very uncomfortable to mm-hmm. systematically be using increased pressure. But at that point, I thought that was better than using it out of anger. And so my, my partner and I moved away from Ireland and we moved to where we are now, which is kind of a small town in Washington state. Um, and it's pretty rural. And I would say natural horsemanship is the predominant uh, kind of horsemanship here. And mm-hmm. I moved here and started working for a kids lesson and therapy program that I still work for. And they use mostly natural horsemanship. Um, but I, I was never satisfied. <laughs> like I was constantly yeah. like, how do I find something that feels good morally? You know, like I looked at Linda Tellington Jones. I looked at Carolyn Resnick. I looked at you know, endless different approaches and read countless, countless books and DVDs and went to clinics. And, and during this, during those years, kind of art school and, and up until recently, I was going through a major depressive episode um, that was, uh, and for some people, some people describe that as like a, like a low grade, um, you know, melancholy. And for me, it was not at all that. (laughs) It was like super intense pain, unbearable pain related to guilt. And, you know, I have many things that I could feel guilty for, as I know, because I have felt guilty for them. (laughs) You know, being white, being privileged. Why do I have such a great life? And, and other people are in war zones or, you know, whatever. But, um, but a big part of it was also the way I had worked with horses. I felt really guilty about, and also this feeling that I really, really wanted to work with horses for my life. And I couldn't figure out a way to do that. That felt morally good to me. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) That's profound. Yeah. Um, And that, you know, I've had to, yeah, I've really had to get good at, forgiving myself that I don't have to feel guilty, you know, and, and I, yes, I've hit our beloved halflinger pony with a whip, you know, in the past. And I don't have to feel guilty about that anymore. I can just move on and not do it again, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um, So around this same time, my sister was, had a difficult dog and she was quicker training her dog. And she said, 
oh, why don't you try clicker training with horses? And I said, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I said, I was like, you know, it doesn't work as well with horses. And, and anyways, it's just for tricks. I'm trying to do dressage, you know, <laughs> or whatever arguments I said, but she gave me reaching the animal mind by Karen Pryor for Christmas. Yes. And I read it and I was instantly like, oh my God, I have to clicker train horses. I love this book. <laughs> I love clicker training. I, I think she has your name in the back, Alex. So I looked you up and I immediately started listening to your podcast and reading your books and, um, and looking for horses to clicker train, which is not as easy as looking for horses to ride. <laughs> ah, yeah. Which is interesting. And I don't spoil my horse with carrots. Exactly. I know. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. You can hit my horse. Oh, yeah. No problem. Yes. Oh, yes. Carry a whip, hit my horse. Just don't give him a Don't give him a slice of carrot. You're going to yeah. show him how to bite. Yeah. What, what an interesting community we are. Yeah. I know. Isn't that funny? Yeah. 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 Uh, and that's when I decided that I needed my own horse. So I could clicker train them. <laughs> yes. And this was right at the beginning of COVID. And I think, Alex, I was scheduled to go to an in-person clinic in California in July 2020. Or no, in April 2020. And then it, okay. of course, was canceled. Yes. But when COVID hit, my partner and I both, our jobs ended. And I was like, oh, you know, what? what should we do now? <laughs> and there's this big horse rescue a few hours from us. And I had been reading about their, uh, you know, reading on their website. And it said that normally they had, it's, they have about a hundred horses and one person, one older guy who lives there. The rest of the time, they rely on volunteers from the university in the town. But when COVID hit, all the students went home and they had no volunteers. So my husband and I went out and lived there for a few months uh, and volunteered during the start of the pandemic and helped at the horse rescue. And that's where I met Sage, who is one of my horses. And she basically, I wanted a horse who did not have much training because I knew that I had been, I had been successful with more traditional techniques in riding and I didn't want to be tempted mm. to use them uh, okay. <laughs> with my new horse <laughs> so I I was like I want a horse who I have to teach everything with clicker training you know I'm going to teach husbandry I'm going to teach riding and all this stuff and not be tempted to go back to other ways that I've done it before and Sage is now probably I've had her for about two years and she based on her teeth she's probably around 20 or a little older. So was it your, so it wasn't necessarily your intention to take on an older horse. She just happened to be an untrained horse who was older. Yeah, I think it wasn't my intention. Like I wasn't looking for an older horse, but I found Sage and I really connected with her. And I thought, you know, she, she met a lot of the criteria. Like she didn't have much training um, and she also seemed pretty safe like she was nervous about stuff but yeah. she was not I didn't see anything that seemed like it'd be aggressive or um you know which was good because I was going to keep her in other people's backyards basically yes. and I just you know I just loved her so <laughs> and I remember thinking I was like well she's 
a little older than maybe I thought I wanted. Um, but I was like, some horses live to 35. So I'll probably have her for 15 years, which yeah. is a really long time. <laughs> so it's, it's time to read another quote that you uh, wrote for one of the posts in the online clinic. You wrote, my horses are older, but I haven't had them very long. I think that could be one thought that would limit my dreams. But then I think we really never know how much time we have with any of our animals, even young ones. So we just have to enjoy every day together. And for all I know, my horses will live to 35, and I will have them for at least 10 more years. Huck, Sage, and I could learn a lot of dressage in 10 years. That's a great attitude. <laughs> yeah. Well, and already, and I've had Sage for two years and Huck for one year, and they have taught me so much. Yeah. You know, in, in that amount of time. Um, Learning so is never done. No. Learning is never done. So, so let's, let's talk about both of them because people do take on older horses and often they take them on and the horse becomes a pasture pet. You know, it's well loved, it's well taken care of, but it's a pasture pet. And there's so much more enrichment that training can offer our horses. And the training done well helps the horses to become sound. Yeah. So who do you want to start with, Sage <laughs> or Huck? Let's start with Sage. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so Sage is older and basically... I don't know a lot of her history, but I know she was at the large rescue where I got her from for probably at least 12 years. Oh. Based on their Facebook page, pictures, where there's pictures of her okay. about 12 years ago there. <laughs> and before that, she had come from another large rescue that was unable to care for their horses. So, so she's basically just been warehoused. I think nobody's so. had time yeah. to do anything really with her. Yeah. She's just been a, a horse out in a herd. Yes. Yeah. So at this, okay. yeah, kind of in a, yeah, in with a bunch of horses. I think a volunteer might have put her around pen once or twice. Um, and, okay. you know, about once a year, I think they'd try to bring her in and attempt, well, attempt to bring her in because she was very good at not being caught. <laughs> um, and then attempt to do her feet, which she was also very good at not having done. Ooh, once okay. a year yeah I think you know okay. I mean they they they're really doing their but best. she's out yeah. moving around so yeah right yes. they're yeah. doing their best yeah yeah, yeah. they're she's doing their best around. obviously because if they kept her for 12 years you know right. they're yeah. they're yeah. sincerely trying to help these horses oh yes yeah it's they just have... that you know a year know. without then, having the feet done sounds yeah. like the feet don't yeah. look too good <laughs> And living yeah. in a herd with other, you know, living in a in a herd is actually kind of a nice life for horses. Yeah. And it yeah. sure beats being brought in and mistreated through through training. Mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would rather be the the first horse. Yeah. I'd rather be left alone. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And so she was, you know, she did not have abuse or yeah, I don't think anyone was was outright mean to her i think no. that the normal kind of husbandry procedures which no one had taught her to do were very very strict mm -hmm. um, 
and I was totally new to clicker training. <laughs> and so she's been my very patient teacher. And I think at first I only had one of your books. And so I, looking back at videos, really funny because I just go, oh my God, what was I doing? You know? <laughs> but yeah, but she's been really a great teacher, you know, going through learning about the foundation lessons and then teaching kind of the universal husbandry and then getting into the, I remember last summer I had, I had evacuated her and my other horse to Suzanne's house. Yes. And she, and we were playing with horses together and she was like, oh, you know, you should really start teaching her the lateral stuff. And I was like, oh, what does that look like with clicker training? <laughs> so I got the, why would you leave me DVD and started, um, started playing with that, which was just amazing, you know, really transformed her Yes. in the way she moves and looks, but also like her her personality like I feel like every day she gets younger and more sparkly wow you know I mean she is just and she you know when I got her she was sweet and gentle but very reserved like not really gonna interact and not really you know not didn't want to do anything wrong didn't want to interact with people or the environment and now she's like oh, what do you have? Do you have a tarp? Oh, let me help you with that. You know, she's just, <laughs> she is just so fun. And um, out in turnout, she'll like run around and, and do full rears and everything, which, I mean, she looks like a wild stallion. <laughs> you know, I just can't believe how athletic she is. So yeah, it's cool to see her just blossom and feel good. Yeah. 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 Very neat which is why we train. Yeah. That, that is the essence of why we train. And, that, and the lateral flexions are such a key part of helping them to feel better in their bodies because they're moving their joints. They're flexing their joints and lubricating their joints and moving in a balance that where they're, they're picking themselves up instead of falling down onto their front end and putting unnecessary pressure on their joints it's lateral work is is such a keys to the kingdom yeah which you're seeing with her yes yeah because yeah. that the, the that short little video clip that you sent where she's suddenly just picks up and floats next to you in a beautiful lateral flexion it's like oh look at that <laughs> what a good girl yeah she's yeah. beautiful <laughs> she is beautiful she is beautiful yeah she is and when she's you know, if she's standing around, not in a good balance, not, I always think she's beautiful, but not everybody might think she was beautiful then, you know, but she's becoming more and more, looks more and more like a really beautiful horse to everybody, not just to me. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and so that, yeah. So Huck, so tell us about Huck. Just so, before, which one was the one that I think it was Sage that slept while you were on her back at some point. Oh, yes. It yes. was Sage, wasn't it? Can you talk about that a little bit before we, uh, yeah. we go to Huck? So I've been very slowly starting Sage under saddle. And so like a year ago, I sat on her back for the first time and she was fine, you know, fine with it. And, and I was like, oh, great. You know, this is so great. 
and we have this good groundwork and I like set out would set out some mats and it was maybe the second or third time I sat on her I like got on and was sitting on her and I was expecting her to walk to the mat which I had placed probably five feet in front of her <laughs> and instead she like sits there for a minute you know kind of looks around and then she walks over to her nap spot and starts taking a nap she just cocked the hind leg, closes her eyes, and starts taking a nap. <laughs> and you're on, you're sitting on her. And I was sitting on her, yeah. And I was, I mean, I was like, okay, that's not really what I was expecting, but, but yeah, how nice that she's, you know, relaxed work. enough. Yeah, she, to totally. go to sleep with you on her back. I'm sure a lot of people would like that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. so, what did you do? Um, I've been, I, I, and she did that not just once yeah. she would right. do, she, she did that a few times. She did that a few times. Partly mm -hmm. I learned I was training at the wrong time of day because oh. I was kind of training at her nap time. Okay. <laughs> so, um, that I needed to change. And partly I went back in this winter, I was really working on the, the fading myself out of the mat circle, like Michaela does with Blondie on the ground and then so that it really became kind of automatic like she could go from mat to mat to mat and I was trying to fade myself out um, yeah. and so then this summer she's we can ride a mat circle now <laughs> so <laughs> which is very exciting <laughs> and I've started adding in the leg cue and then I also started at you know at first I could have like I could slide down the lead on the ground and she'd give me a really nice flexion. But then when I was on her back, I would slide down the lead and she'd say, I don't know what that means. I'm going to pull against it. You know, even though I was so light, like just as light as I was on the ground. And, yeah. and I, I've had to do a lot more translating between the flexions on the ground and the flexions when I'm on her. But we're still just in the walking forward straight understanding the forward cues and then when we're stopped asking for flexions okay. but we have not combined them yet <laughs> so yeah but but partly partly too i just have been having so much fun with the stuff on the ground that i have not worked on riding you know that much yeah so the it'll be there you know now yeah. you know that she's she's safe to have you on her back yeah which is a big deal. Yeah. It is a big yeah. deal. Mm -hmm. And actually, like, I, I've taken her for tons and tons of hand walks, like, on trails. So if we're on a trail, I can actually ride her because she understands. I can turn and she understands where to go. It's just in the arena, she's like, where did you go? I don't know where I'm supposed to yeah. go, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And when you're riding out and there's a bush... Right. And they say, oh, right. Turn around the bush. Yes, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Go, go around the bush. You don't want me to go through the bush. I'm not a dog. Right. We, of course, we're going to go around the, yeah. the, the bush. And you know, it's why sometimes the ranch horses are so, I'm not sure I want to call them well-trained, but so useful mm -hmm. um, because they've been put to use. They've opened gates and they've yeah. moved cows around. And, and so they've learned basic steering by doing you you know purposeful things and so when you ask them to turn and and so on they they do uh, yeah because it makes sense to them yeah. oh right it's a gate 
we have to go through it. You want me to move over? I, I, all right, that makes sense. But then when you, you think about, ask, you've got an empty arena mm. and you want the horse to turn. For what reason? Why am I doing a circle here? This makes no sense. Or, or you've, you've gone down to the far end of the arena and now you've ridden back to the other end. And now you want me to go back down to the other end. Why? <laughs> it makes no yes. sense. Explain this to me, human. <laughs> this, none of this makes sense, which is why the props are so handy. So you put out a cone circle with mats and it starts to map out the environment. And, oh, right, you want me to turn so we go to the mat. Okay, I can do that. Mm-hmm. And going to a mat is a great thing because you're going to give me a goodie when we go to the mat. And now you want me to go to the next mat. Okay, I can do that. You want me to turn around a cone? Well, I, I you know, it seems a little silly, <laughs> not a bush, but yeah, but but okay, and and you're clicking and reinforcing me for it, so uh, so I can figure it out. So yeah, it does make it makes sense that riding out would, especially if she's comfortable riding out, that that's a great way to get her used to and, and comfortable with riding, and then you start saying okay now there's no bush there but can we turn (laughs) yeah 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 no it is uh helpful for her and it's nice because I've hand walked her so much on the ground which I love I love going for hand walk trails with my horses and I've found that horse people don't ever want to go with me to hand walk my horses on trails but non-horse people think it's really fun (laughs) <laughs> to take a horse for okay. a walk. <laughs> um, what do so, they say the horse people when you want to go on a hand walk? They they don't see the they don't see the point. Um, why aren't you riding? Yeah. Why aren't you riding? Yeah, yeah. Why wouldn't you just ride them? You know, which mm-hmm. I mean, one of mine is not sound enough, so that's one reason. But but you know, but also I I feel so safe on her because I know it's not that she would never do anything but I know before she would do something, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. And so I can always- Because I, you've seen her so much from the ground or- Yeah. Is yeah, it from like, the hand walks that you have yeah. seen her so many times, re- you can observe her before she starts to react? Yeah, yeah, like I can tell if she, and she's not, you know, she doesn't tend to be explosive. Like I could tell if she's gonna get worked up about something. Mm-hmm. One of the things you start learning about an individual horse is, okay, what's the worst they're going to do? If something mm-hmm. scares them. What's the worst that you've seen this horse do? Well, he might jump a little bit, but his feet aren't going to go anywhere. Okay, that's <laughs> I can I can stay on yeah. that horse. Yeah. Or he's going to be in the next county before I can even blink. Uh, no thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then I'm going to put a lot more. I'm going to put a lot more prep into that horse because I can't ride what he may offer. And so I, I, have to, I have to prepare much more thoroughly because I know that in repertoire are things that could get me very badly hurt so, or get him badly hurt. Yeah. What, what does she do? What have you observed that flags you that, you know, something she's starting to go on alert? Um. I mean, she, you know, well, if she's totally relaxed, like we're on a trail, 
she's totally relaxed her head's pretty low she's walking along she's looking for stuff to eat you know or she's exploring the ferns or whatever she's doing then she might jump at something and that's about it you know but if she starts to get more worked up like I, the first time I took her to the ocean I think it smelled really different different mm-hmm. yeah and she was like head high you know she was like breathing you know breathing really <laughs> intensely and, and um and then I think she could do something more dramatic so like what I, did you do that time in the ocean when you were reaching the ocean and she was starting to become tensed? Yeah, um, we were we were walking them on the sand. Huck, so Huck has ring bones. You had the two of them? I had the two of them, yes. Okay. And someone, my sister had Huck and I had oh, Sage. Okay. And um, Huck loves the beach because the sand feels really good on his feet. Mm. And he also loves the water. And- oh. In particular, on this beach, there was one spot that had like a tree, and I think he just wanted to live there forever. <laughs> I mean, he just, <laughs> we would like walk down to that spot, and he'd play in the water and roll in the sand and, and then kind of walk the other way, and he kept wanting to go back to that spot, you know. <laughs> um, and Sage was, you know, I felt like she was, she was nervous, a little nervous, but I didn't feel like it was too nervous. Mm-hmm. Like, I think she still was enjoying she was tried playing in the water and she I think she rolled as well I mean she was still enjoying being somewhere new but she was definitely like on alert Mm. and she's also she is very much has to keep an eye on everything all the time Mm -hmm. so you give her the time to do that yes oh yes yeah yeah so she wants to stop and look we just stop and she looks for a long time at stuff and so, yeah. so this brings me this brings me to another quote, uh, <laughs> another post that you wrote, which I I just love this. One dream that I am already living is that my horses are part of the family. We all love spending time together. Even my dog loves to hang out with Sage and Huck. Last night, my husband and I went with all the animals on an adventure walk down to the river, where Sage went in up to her chest. I would never have believed that a year ago. My dog had a great time bringing us sticks. Huck was teaching Sage to play in the water, and Sage started learning from our dog how to carry sticks in her mouth. Mm-hmm. I love that we can all learn, love, and laugh together. We were all there for Huck with his eye injury, and we can all enjoy spending time together. That's the best dream of all, I think, and already I've found it. I'm so lucky to have such a wonderful family. <laughs> great, great post. Yeah, yeah we are, and... We currently live in an RV in the horse paddock. <laughs> so, yeah, so you have to tell us about that a little because I thought that was pretty neat. Sounds yeah. a little bit like like Alex that you're sharing your living space with your horse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think so it what's is. that should you, should setup? You, should you introduce Huck? Yeah, first? yeah, we should actually yeah. before yeah. we so go Huck. to the setup. <laughs> I'm going to stop us here. Krista is about to introduce her second horse, Huck, and to describe how she's living with her horses in their field. I know for many horse lovers, that's something they would love to do. Krista has already told us that Huck has high ring bone, so we'll be talking to her about working with horses who have severe soundness issues. And again, I know that's something that many of you listening are dealing with. 
If you're interested in any of the clicker training resources that Krista mentioned, my books, the DVDs, and of course the online clinics, please visit my website, theclickercenter.com. And until next time, train well and have fun with your horses.